0: Well, I'm excited to dig in this morning. You guys ready to get into God's Word together? Okay, amen, amen. All right, so today we're beginning an amazing adventure and journey together. And uh, it's going to be some of the the most fun, I believe it, the most fun you've ever had studying God's Word because you're going to see things that you've never seen before. Uh, I know I have in preparation. So my hope is that we'll begin to see how... Masterfully, God has worked over the course of history to tell one great story about one great Savior. Did you know the Bible's a masterpiece? Do you guys know that? Uh, It's the book that sold the most copies, right? Uh, It has lasted and endured the test of time. Let me give you some facts about the Bible. It's 66 books, 66 books of various genres and styles written by over 40 authors from various backgrounds and time periods. Speaking of that, over the course of 1,500 years, the Bible was written from its first writing to the last, and it's written in three different languages. And yet, the Bible is one ultimate plan, one ultimate plot, one ultimate champion, and one ultimate king. It's all about Jesus. That's going to be our uh, emphasis. That's what we're discovering as we go. So let me just tell you, for this series, I've really got two big goals that I'm hoping to achieve in this sermon series. The first one is I want to raise the bar. I want to raise the bar of biblical literacy. I want us to know our Bibles like. I want you to know the stories and the simple truths from every story. But then primarily, mainly, what I want you to know is that every story is pointing us to Christ, that there's one main meta narrative, if you will, a broader, bigger story. And how does each of these small stories connect and help us tell the story of the gospel? So that's the number one goal. Raise the bar. Number two, I want to uh, reveal Jesus. I want to reveal Jesus as the true and better hero of the whole picture, the whole story. So what I want us to see is Christ in all the scriptures. I want us to see Christ in all scriptures. This is actually how Jesus taught his very first disciples. uh, He taught them how to read their Bibles. And that's the text we're going to look at today. Uh, So if you'll find your place with me at Luke chapter 24, the gospel of Luke chapter 24. While you're turning there, um, this whole chapter is basically uh, a, a play. It's a, it's, a, it's a working out of the story of the empty tomb and then all that's going to happen after that. We're going to walk into this story right on the very first Easter Sunday, if you will. But uh, it's four scenes. If this were a play, it'd be four scenes. It'd be the scene at the tomb... The scene on the Emmaus Road, and then the scene up in the upper room with the disciples, and then the scene on the mountain where Jesus ascends into heaven. Those would be the four scenes if it were a play. But our focus today is on the Emmaus Road, that that journey that those disciples walked, leaving Jerusalem and walking the distance to Emmaus. Before we get into that, let me just give you a little bit of background uh, of what was happening at the tomb that morning, that Sunday morning. Some of the women that had been following Jesus, some of his disciples, the women ran to the tomb or they went to the tomb early Sunday to uh, take care of the body of Jesus. If you remember, it was uh, in the afternoon on Friday when Jesus was crucified and when he breathed his last, God made the sky go dark, which in that day meant uh, a new day was beginning. So as the sky went dark, the Sabbath was beginning and there was this panic about getting these dead men off the cross, right? We've got to get them off the cross because if, if we've still got dead men on the cross and it turns into the Sabbath, then we will have sinned essentially, right? So they had to get Jesus off the cross in a hurry and get him sent off to the tomb and they didn't get to take care of his body. So Sunday morning came. And the ladies go to the tomb to treat his body spices and wrap it properly all those kinds of things but when they get there big discovery right Jesus is not there they start panicking you know they're asking who, who would do this who would take his body why would somebody take the body of Jesus and all of a sudden the angel appears and says to them this is in verse six why do you seek the living among the dead He is not here. He is risen. Isn't that a great verse for Easter, right? That that is like the amazing verse for Resurrection Sunday. Well, this angel then goes on to remind them that Jesus actually predicted his own suffering and death. He told them what was going to happen. And they remembered it. And they ran back to the other disciples in the upper room. They get back up there and they're like, Jesus's body's not there. He's, he's, He's not there. There was an angel. He told us all the things. And the other disciples are listening, and they, how'd they respond? They they immediately start worshiping. Oh, he's risen. Nope. They don't believe the women. <laughs> they doubt them. You know, maybe they're like, these women, so emotional, right? Such uh, exaggerators. They didn't believe the ladies, right? So Peter and John take off, they run to the tomb, and sure enough, the ladies were right. It was just as they said, he was not there. All was left were the grave clothes. And the Bible records in chapter 24, verse 12, that uh, they went away marveling. I don't think they still understood exactly what was going on. When it says marveling, you know, they're just dumbfounded. They don't know what's happening. So let's pick it up there. Would you stand with me as we read verse 13 through verse 35? This is the word of the Lord. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. And one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus said to them, What things? (laughs) And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to where which they were going. And he acted as if he was going to go farther. But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it's toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. And they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Let's pray. Father, would you open our eyes today as we open your word? Lord, help us. Help us to see the glory of Jesus, our Savior, in all of Scripture today. Lord, if there's someone listening who needs to know Christ as Savior, and Lord, I pray you would open their heart to truly believe spirit of god would you be our teacher would you guide us into all truth we pray now in jesus name amen you can be seated so in this scene the emmaus road journey we've got a couple of discouraged disciples leaving Jerusalem with their heads hanging low, right? They're super sad, they're discouraged, despondent, you might would say. They were really hoping that Jesus would be the Savior, but those dreams seem to have died with Him. On their walk to Emmaus, Jesus Himself joins them, right? And they're kept from recognizing Him. He, Jesus, cleverly asked them to tell his own story. And then uh, he just listens. How crazy is this that Jesus listens as they fill him in on all the details, like they're informing him of what happened, right? But they give a pretty good synopsis of all the things that had happened, except they miss how the suffering and death Of Jesus could be anything other than a colossal failure. They couldn't see past it, right? Well, this is where Jesus steps in. And what I want us to do today is I want to see three things about Christ from this text. See three truths about Christ from the text. And I'll go ahead and admit to you, we're going to spend a good bit of time on number two, okay? Number one and number three, we'll go quickly. But number two, we'll spend the bulk of our time there about Christ, the first thing I want you to see is the heart of Christ, the heart of Christ. Jesus steps into this moment right here. He's walking with these guys and here's what he does. He rebukes and rescues unbelieving hearts. Jesus rebukes and rescues unbelieving hearts. So think about it for a minute, all right? The son of God and redeemer, crucified and buried for the sins of humanity. That's what's happened. The son of God has come. He's been killed. He's been crucified, buried, all of that for the sins of humanity. But now he's raised from the dead, victorious over sin and death. He's conquered, right? You would think that the clouds would part, the thunder would roll. There'd be this huge announcement that Jesus would sort of do a victory lap before gathering a huge crowd of thousands of people with lights and cameras and stages and a huge crowd of people. But no, there's none of that. Just the risen Lord rescuing the drifted hearts of his friends. Jesus conceals himself and walks for miles with two disciples who are walking away from their faith. What kind of king is this? What kind of savior is this? These guys are despondent. Now they're they're even convinced that Jesus is not who they'd hoped he was. This is where our king decides to reveal himself as a resurrected Lord. This is his moment. This is the moment walking on the road with these two guys. So notice his heart in this first. Let me just mention and make some observations about Jesus here quickly. First, he came to them. Do you notice that? Jesus came to them. These guys are leaving him but Jesus came to them. Jesus listens to them. I mean, how patient is our Lord right here to to listen to these guys tell his own story and they're and they're botching it terribly. But he's listening patiently as they inform him. Jesus listens. He corrects them. Now, Jesus steps right into their flaws, their errors, and he doesn't leave them in confusion. He brings really great clarity to what's going on but you know sometimes we don't know what we don't know right you agree uh i listen to my children all the time tell me what they know and i'm listening and i'm like yeah you don't know what you're talking about (laughs) right i mean you've been there right where you've listened to somebody give you this whole explanation and they're wrong the whole time they don't know what they don't know but they're so convinced Sometimes the best kind of learning is unlearning. And Jesus steps into this moment and rebukes these guys and corrects them. What else did he do? Well, he taught them. He took the time to to, to walk them through the scriptures explaining the truth. Not only did he say you're wrong, but he says this is right. Let me show you the truth. Let me open your eyes to the scriptures. What's really true? And in all of this, he loves them. All of this, we have to see it as love. Jesus loves these disciples. He even playfully acts like he's going to keep walking when they get to Emmaus. And it's not just to play games with them. It's because he wants to draw out of their own hearts a real desire for him to stay. Think about that for a minute. Jesus kind of pretended like he was going to keep going. And all he wanted to do was pull out of them For them to be like, please stay, please stay. Well, in doing that, that's that's him loving them well. And what does he do? He does stay. He stays with them. Jesus lingers. Think about that for a minute. Like he had plenty of places to go, plenty of people to see. But he stayed for a while with two disciples who were doubting him. What kind of king is this? And lastly, he opens their eyes. The whole time, these, these disciples are captivated by this man, but they don't fully know him. Now go back with me, if you will, to verse 27. I want you to look at this verse. This is probably the key verse in this passage. Verse 27 says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them all in all the scriptures the things concerning Jesus himself. This was the turning point for them. They even said that did not our hearts burn within us while he opened the scriptures to us. So as I'm looking at this, I'm thinking about the heart of Christ. What kind of savior, what kind of king is this that comes to two doubting, despondent disciples as they're walking away from the faith and he comes and walks with them for miles, for hours, eats with them, breaks bread with them. He spends all this time with two people. This is the resurrected King. He's not interested in crowds. He's interested in hearts. I'm amazed at the kindness of Jesus. He rescues them with such patience and grace. Church, listen, it is how he rescues every sinner. Romans teaches that it's the kindness of God that draws us to repentance. Well, this is the heart of Christ. Secondly, and this is where we'll spend most of our time today, I want us to focus on the teaching of Christ, the teaching of Christ. Jesus reveals himself as the focus of all scripture. He reveals himself as the focus of all scripture. So Jesus starts out uh, his comments for these guys. Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. To believe all. So apparently they believe some of it, but they didn't believe all of it. Maybe they had selective faith. A lot of husbands today suffer from selective hearing, right? Uh, we, we hear things like, dinner's ready. And then we totally miss things like, hey, take the garbage out. Totally miss that, Right. That's selective hearing. Well, these guys had selective faith, maybe. They, they believed the Messiah would be a conquering and eternal king, but they totally missed the part about his suffering and his death. So Jesus begins with Moses. What does he mean when he says that? Beginning with Moses. Well, Moses wrote some books of the Bible. Do you know what books Moses wrote? Genesis. What else? Keep going. Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those first five books of the Bible are called the Pentateuch. Pentateuch. This is the Torah, the law. It's the, the books of law. It's the first five foundational books of Jewish culture, Jewish heritage, and belief in the Jewish God, Yahweh. Jesus begins with Moses. And all the prophets... And then he says he worked his way through all the scriptures. This was a long walk, apparently, right? There's a lot, a lot of talking he's doing here. But what is he doing as he's opening the scriptures? What is he teaching them? The Bible says he's teaching them all the things concerning himself. What does that mean? I mean, I thought most of us think this way. The Old Testament was about God and creation and the law And the New Testament is about Jesus and grace, right? Sort of. But what Jesus is saying here, and he's pressing on us, is that all of Scripture, even the Old Testament, is about him. Now listen, this is where, um, if you imagine we're digging for treasure, we're digging, we're digging, we just, right there with that statement, all Scripture is about him. We just... What is that? that? This is the treasure chest that every week, week after week, we're going to pull it up and open it up and dig into the treasure that's there. Because what we're going to discover along the way is that all of the Bible is pointing us to Jesus. All of it. This is the treasure that we'll dig into. Can you imagine listening to Jesus teach? Like... (laughs) We all have our favorite teachers to listen to, I guess. But could you imagine listening to the living word of God open and explain the written word of God? Like what a sermon, right? What in the world would Jesus say? How would he teach him? Well, it says he began with Moses. So maybe he started in Genesis. Let me ask you, Christian, where would you go in the book of Genesis to talk about Jesus? Can you talk about Jesus from Genesis? What about Exodus? How about Leviticus? If I caught you in the hallway and said, hey, tell me about Jesus from Leviticus, what would you say? Numbers? Deuteronomy? Jesus walked his way through all of these scriptures. And all along the way, he's teaching them to interpret the scripture through the lens of redemption. That all the Bible is pointing to a Redeemer. All of it is all about Him. I love um, Dr. Stephen Lawson. He says the Bible is a great hymn book. From cover to cover, it's all about Him. (laughs) It's cheesy, but I liked it, right? You'll remember it. You'll remember that. It'll stick, I promise. In the beginning... Listen, maybe Jesus started this way. Guys, in the beginning... God created. God Elohim, right? That's the Hebrew word. It's the plural form of God. What is what is it talking about there? God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit, the triune God created. The New Testament writers are going to explain this in John one and Colossians one in John chapter one. It says in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And then it says He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. So Jesus says, hey, the Christ was in the beginning and he created everything. So we don't even get four words into the Bible before we discover that Christ is there. Christ is here. The book of Revelation ends the book of the Bible. It ends the scriptures and it ends with these words. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. So literally from cover to cover, from four words in to the last words in the book, it's all about him. It's all about Jesus. So maybe as they walk, Jesus starts He's talking about creation and he begins maybe with the crown of his creation, Adam and Eve. He talks about this man, this woman, that as he made the world, he made it good and beautiful. The people he put in it were good. Everything was perfect. They had perfect unity and fellowship with God. The Bible says that Adam walked with God and talked with him in the garden. It was amazing. But soon they were deceived by the serpent. God's perfect world with beautiful fellowship with God was broken. And God cursed the people. God cursed the land. God cursed the serpent. And in this curse, God buries a beautiful promise. Genesis 3.15 is the first explicit gospel portrait. And in Genesis 3.15, God promises an ongoing battle With the serpent, with Satan, an ongoing battle and Eve's offspring. So this sounds terrible, doesn't it? A never ending war between us and Satan. This sounds awful. But then there's a glimmer of hope. One of Eve's offspring will rescue. Are you looking at this passage on the screen? I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Now look, here's here's the offspring of the woman and here's the promise. He will bruise his heel. So the serpent will bruise his heel. But that Redeemer, that Rescuer will crush his head. Now listen, this is the good news of the gospel because Jesus is the promised serpent crusher. How did he do it? Well, Jesus was bruised at the cross, but he conquered at the grave, right? Jesus is the serpent crusher. Well, Adam and Eve's sin brought massive consequences. Their shame and nakedness became immediately apparent to them. And God covered Adam and Eve with animal skins. So the first Feelings of guilt and shame were met with the grace of God through sacrifice. Again, it's only a preview. It's just a shadow of the goodness of Christ's covering because Jesus doesn't just conceal our shame. He cleanses our sin. This is the gospel. As Jesus walks with them, maybe talking through Genesis, he reminds them of how in Genesis 6, the earth was filled with people whose thoughts were only evil all the time. All the time. And God warned that judgment was coming. He was going to send a flood. He called Noah out. He said, Noah, I want you to build an ark. And for years, Noah built this ark. And all the time, he's preaching judgment and salvation. God is going to judge, but God will save. God provided a way of salvation. Not just any way. There weren't multiple ways. One ark. Of salvation, And whoever would come and get into that boat would be saved. Church, Jesus is the only way of salvation. Whoever comes into him by faith alone will be saved from the judgment of God. Maybe Jesus taught them about Abraham. And Isaac. The story. Where Abraham in Genesis 22 is called to take his beloved son, the son of promise. Abraham and Sarah couldn't conceive. They couldn't have a baby together. They were old by the time God even promised them, you're going to have a child. Many more years passed. Sarah even laughed when God promised a child. She couldn't believe it. Years passed, and then God finally opens her womb, blesses her with a baby. That baby's name is Isaac, and Isaac is the promised son. And then, surprise, God says, Abraham, take your son whom you love up on the mountain and offer him to me as a sacrifice. I want you to kill your son. The one thing they've prayed for and waited for, this promised child... Isaac is now to be sacrificed. And we read the story in Genesis 22. We see that Isaac even carries the wood up the mountain. The wood that he's going to lay his body on. He carries it up the mountain. And just in the nick of time, as Abraham has the knife raised above his son, an angel of the Lord speaks, stops him. And God provides a ram in the thorns. Church, Jesus is the true and better Isaac. He's the true and better beloved son of the Holy Father who carried his cross up Golgotha's hill and who was the ultimate substitution. He was the lamb with the thorns who saves sinners from their sin. It is all about Jesus. Amen. Now, look, we're not even through the book of Genesis. And what Jesus does on this journey to Emmaus is he's opening the scriptures to tell them, to show them. All the Bible is pointing to a great redeemer. All of it. The books of Moses, the prophets, the law, the Psalms, all of it, all scripture is about me is what Jesus is teaching. Here in Luke 24, Jesus is teaching his followers how to interpret the scriptures. So from beginning to end, the Bible is one great story revealing one great Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, this wasn't the first time that Jesus had explained it. It's just the first time they've heard it from a dead man alive again. Another place that came to my mind where Jesus made this super clear was in John chapter 5. In John chapter 5, Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees. And he says to them in verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Here's what he was saying to the Pharisees. You look to the Bible and you try to do everything it tells you to do. And you think you can obey your way to God? He says this. It is they, the scriptures, it is they that bear witness about me. Look at what Jesus is saying here. He's trying to say, don't look at the scripture for hope. Look to me for hope. The scripture is telling you about me. It's it's predicting and telling you a redeemer is coming. Guess what? I'm here. Look at what he goes on to say in verse 46 of John chapter 5. He goes on to say, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. Wait a minute. I don't know Moses wrote about Jesus. I didn't see Jesus in the narrative. Jesus was teaching them how to read their Bible, how to read the scriptures, read it through the lens of redemption. What is God doing to redeem his people? So the scripture bears witness about Jesus. Moses wrote of him. Whoa, like Jesus is explaining what we are affirming today, that all Scripture is one great story about one great Savior. Maybe you could say it this way. um, Frame up the Scripture, all the Scripture in these brackets. The Old Testament, the Old Testament is about anticipation. It's anticipating a coming Messiah. It's anticipating the Redeemer's arrival. So maybe the Old Testament, as you read through, it's shouting, He's coming! He's coming! He's coming! And as you read through Abraham and Isaac's story, the the ram caught in the thicket, they sacrificed the ram, that story is shouting, there is a Savior coming! The Old Testament, He's coming. The Gospels are about manifestation. When we read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John The Bible is shouting this. He's here. He's here. Remember the beginning of Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel. uh, When Jesus is born, the angelic choir. Hosanna. Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. He's here. This is the moment we've been waiting for. Christ has come. The book of Acts we studied last year is about proclamation. The church is proclaiming him. We're proclaiming Jesus. The epistles, the letters that are written in the New Testament is explanation. It's explaining. The apostles are explaining him. And revelation is consummation. The book of Revelation ends uh, a few verses before what we read earlier. It ends with these words, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. And that's the message of revelation. It is he's coming again. He's coming again. So when we read that, we see it's all about Jesus. Go back with me, if you will, to Luke 24. Jesus sits down to the table with these guys, breaks bread, and then he vanishes. Like, I mean, would you just... I don't even know how I'd react in that moment. Like, I don't know what I'd do. I'd just be frozen. I'm watching this guy break bread and pray. All of a sudden, my something. My eyes are open. I see who he is. The dots are connecting in my mind, and then he's gone. I mean, I'm freaking out. I'm just being honest. And they did too, like these guys. But they freak out in a worshipful way because they know he is the Messiah. He is the Christ, and immediately they take off and head back to the upper room. When they get to the upper room with the disciples, they're already celebrating. They're already celebrating because Simon Peter has had an experience with Jesus and he's come back and everybody's excited. Jesus has risen from the dead. But Jesus comes into that room also, right? He walks into that upper room and he starts teaching them also. Look at Luke 24 verses 44 and 45. Look at what Jesus says here. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything. What's the next words? About me. Everything about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Church, would you pray with me over this series? Would you pray for yourself, for us as a church, that Jesus, that the Holy Spirit would open our minds to understand the scriptures? Would we pray, could we pray together that He would open our minds to understand the Scriptures? These disciples, they're soaking in every ounce of Jesus' teaching. Like, they're getting it. And He gave them great insight into the Scripture. Just a few weeks from this moment is Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, right? The Holy Spirit comes on them in power. They begin to speak in languages they don't know. They're preaching a powerful gospel. What gospel do they preach? What book of the Bible do they preach from when they preach the gospel? Peter, in Acts chapter 2, preaches from, guess where? Joel, chapter 2. Joel, like who's going to... If I caught you in the hallway and said, tell me about Jesus from Joel, what would you say? But the very first evangelistic sermon from the Christian church, from Peter, is from the book of Joel. And he says this, quote from Joel. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What name? The name of Jesus. So what is Peter doing as he preaches? He says, what what was written in Joel chapter 2 is about Jesus. Jesus. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, whose name? Jesus' name. He goes on to preach through Psalm 16 and Psalm 110. He's using the Psalms to to point them to the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Well, Acts chapter 3. Peter and John heal a man beside the gate of the temple. A huge crowd gathers and they begin to preach another sermon. I actually think it'd be good for us to look at this text. Let's do this quickly. Acts 3. I want you to look at verse 19. I think the scripture will be on the screen. Check this out. Peter's preaching to a crowd that's gathered because they healed somebody. Listen to what he says. Verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all. Listen, all his holy prophets. uh, I'm sorry for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Now, where does he go next? Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet, Jesus, shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have. Here it is again. All the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. We could keep reading, but here's the point he's making. Peter has learned from Jesus how to read his Bible. He's already preached from Joel, from Psalm 16, from Psalm 110, from Moses, from the prophets, from Samuel, from and so on. And what he's saying is all of that was about Jesus. These first disciples, they got it. Acts chapter six and seven, Stephen is stoned. And while he's stoned, he's given a historical dissertation. He's telling Israel about their history. And he's saying, don't you know, it was all pointing to Christ. Christ. And then as he's dying, he looks up and the heavens are open and there's Jesus standing. Acts chapter 8. We could keep going, but Acts chapter 8, we'll finish here. Philip uh, is called by the Holy Spirit to run up beside the chariot where the Ethiopian is reading. What's he reading? Do you remember? The scroll of, anybody know? Isaiah. Isaiah. He's reading Isaiah chapter 53. And the sheep is led to the slaughter. And he turns to Philip and he says... Who is this written about? Is it written about the author or someone else? What does Philip say in verse 35? Acts chapter 8, verse 35. Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Listen, Isaiah 53. The sheep is led to the slaughter. Philip says, that's Jesus. He gave his life as the Lamb of God for you. And you say, well, that's Isaiah 53. That's, an, that's low-hanging fruit. Obviously, that's about Jesus. I'm telling you, if that guy had been reading Leviticus 9, Philip would have said, that's about Jesus. Because all of it's about Jesus. This is the point. We can keep going. We can read the rest of the New Testament and just pull out references from the Old Testament. And what you're going to discover is it's all about who? That's right. It's all about Jesus. Your Bible. Listen. This is huge. I I know it's comfortable. I know you're comfortable, but I need you to sit up because this is massive. Your Bible, the inspired Word of God, is not mainly about you. It's not mainly about you. There's a lot of people in this world today, a lot of preachers in the world today that are going to tell you, Hold up your Bible. I believe what this says about me. God is good to me. Those things may be true, but they're not the main point. This book is not about you. It's about him. It's about the great redeemer who's came to rescue us. The whole thing is about him. This drastically changes how we read our Bibles. I'm no longer just looking for a quick verse of inspiration to tweet out real quick. I'm no longer looking for more rules to try to obey to make sure I'm good. I'm no longer doing all that with the Bible. I'm looking to this book to discover my Savior. I want to know God in the face of Jesus Christ. We're reading this book. Because in it, the heart and work of God in sending his son to rescue sinners. That's what we find here. So this is the teaching of Jesus. Lastly, the mission of Christ. Jesus removes the blinders from these disciples. He breaks bread with them. Their eyes are opened. And in that moment of removing the blinders, he ignites a passion ignites a passion for them to go and tell. Maybe as they broke bread together, these disciples had flashbacks to uh, the feeding of the thousands or a meal that they had had with Jesus in the past where he broke bread and prayed and just the way he did it. Maybe that was the moment where it was like, oh my gosh. But this is not simply... Them actually recognizing a person. It's not what the Bible means when it says they recognized him. What it means is that their hearts made the connection between all that he'd been saying and all that he was. They began to see that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. And it was necessary that he suffer in order to save us. These men were saying, I see and I believe what grace, right? The heart of Christ to spend that time with these two doubting Christians is such an encouragement to us because Jesus is in that kind of pursuit of every sinner's heart. Listen, if you're in the room and your eyes have not been open to who Jesus is. You need to hear this. It's not enough to know the facts of the gospel. Your eyes must be open to recognize the face of the gospel. Faith is not about information. It's really about revelation. It's having your eyes opened to to the revealed son of God. God has to open Blind eyes. It's not something you can do on your own. You can ask him to do it. You can cry out to God for mercy to open your eyes to see. But it is a work of God. 2 Corinthians 4 says the enemy has blinded the minds of unbelievers. He has blinded the minds of unbelievers. And how is that blinding removed? It's through the light of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ. So have your spiritual eyes been opened? Have they been open? Have you, when you open this book, do you see Jesus? Have you come to see him for who he really is? These disciples, they went from broken hearts of doubt to burning hearts of joy. He taught them, as He taught them, their hearts were burning with excitement and passion, so much so that they just took off and ran seven miles back to Jerusalem. And when they got there, the party was already going, they just joined in the celebration. Church, this is the natural reaction. Like if your heart, if the eyes of your heart have been opened to see Christ, the natural reaction is a passion to go and tell. Right? If you've come to see the truth about Jesus, you've surrendered your heart to him. Ask him today to stir your heart with zeal, with passion to go and tell. Church, this is one great story about one great. Say here.